Today is Sunday, January 20th, 2019, and this is episode 232 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you, sir? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good, and it's cold. I mean, not as cold as the rest of the country, but it, for most of the country. It is very cold here, yes. But in Atlanta, for us, it's cold. Yeah, but you know the good news is spring is probably only uh, a month or less away. So, I, I mean, it's nothing compared to the folks getting feet of snow. So, and it's like you know below <laughs> zero a lot of places. So I can't complain. Oh, but, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But otherwise, I'm good. I'm uh, yeah. We made it. We made it two Sundays in a row. Right. For recording, which is uh, it's almost the new record, <laughs> recent record. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, just a reminder before we get any further that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. Um, so so uh, first up is a little bit of bad news. Related. What did you do? <laughs> I don't think it was me this time. Oh. Uh, so, so DerbyCon has announced that they are uh, – that 2019 will be the last – um, the last uh, edition of DerbyCon. So. Indeed. Uh, which, you know, cons come and go, but I think for you and I, DerbyCon maybe has a little bit of a special spot in our heart because it was a con that we were able to consistently go to. Right. Uh, we had a, a number of listener meetups at DerbyCon. It kind of became the, I guess, unofficial conference for the show a little bit uh i guess in retrospect uh but uh the announcement did not come without a lot of uh, a lot of controversy it seems that is for sure but you know i will say that i enjoyed debricon i wish everyone involved with it well and i and i i'm sorry for anyone who had a very unfortunate or bad experience and, and and i hope that uh um you know that doesn't happen in the future I, I don't know the answers, though. Yeah, for sure. The thing that I miss most is um, is seeing friends that I've I've made who I only ever get to see at, at DerbyCon. So that's uh, you know that's the probably the thing that that bothers me most. So. Yep, and we got one more year. We'll see. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get tickets and we'll be there. Yeah, yeah indeed. All right. So moving on to our stories, and the first one tonight. And actually, many of them actually come from ZDNet now that I'm looking at the list here. Uh, the title is Popular WordPress Plugin Hacked by Angry Former Employees. This is kind of hot off the presses. Uh, a WordPress plugin named WPML or a WordPress Multilanguage. It's a, it's a pretty popular, I guess it's the number one plugin for, um, for hosting a WordPress site in multiple languages. Uh, and they they also point out that it's um, it's one of the few popular plugins that don't actually have a free option, right? So it's um, you know it's 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 for pay for everybody that wants to use it. And apparently, uh, well, allegedly, a former employee, uh, um, at least according to the 
uh, to the company here that owns WPML. Uh, a former employee uh, placed a backdoor on their website, and after he or she, not clear exactly who, who the former employee was, after he or she left and separated employment, used that backdoor to send out uh, emails to uh, customers, paying customers, saying, you know, basically uh, the, the WPML's plugin has security issues, actually claimed to be a customer, not a former employee, by the way, uh, claiming that, uh, that that this former employee um, reported multiple security problems with the, the plugin and uh, the company didn't take them seriously. And he was actually, uh, he had hacked the cust- that company's website using uh, the the vulnerabilities that he, he or she had found, and uh, and then also posted a, a, a something on their blog, basically kind of saying the same thing that was sent out in an email. And there were lots of um, you know lots of Twitter examples of Twitter posts asking the company, well, you know, what's going on? Why did I get this email? So kind of uh, an interesting insider threat um, situation here. Yeah, that. Uh- this is a tough one when you've got trusted insiders who have access. <laughs> you know, they can if they go rogue, bad bad stuff can happen. Uh, and it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, uh, yeah, it absolutely could have been a lot worse. They uh, now the company is saying that the person didn't uh, didn't monkey with the actual plugin. And and by the way, I you know if you read some of the the, the Twitter back and forth or t- Twitter exchanges, you kind of get the sense that some of the customers are a little skeptical of the company's claims that there aren't problems with the the uh, the plugin. So yeah, oh. um, so they're the, it's kind of a PR <laughs> PR. So problem. the company may be downplaying the consequence here. Well, no, I think the I think the issue is that um, you know, so you get it. You're you're a customer of WPML. You get an email from you know from someone claiming to um, you know t- to have hacked the company's website using vulnerabilities they reported to the company but were ignored. And then the company comes back and says, "No, no, there's no vulnerabilities. It's a former you know, it's a disgruntled former employee." The point, my point was that some of these these customers are are kind of skeptical that the company might not be telling the truth, even if they are. That's, that was my point. So it's a kind of a PR gotcha. part, you know, so it's a difficult PR thing to wrangle. Once somebody makes a claim like that, how do you, how do you prove a negative? Right. Uh, have you stopped beating your wife kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I will tell you that, and I, I've I've said this throughout throughout the time I've been running the show, you know, I think IT people have long been viewed as, uh, and I, I don't know the the particular role that this this uh, person had, but obviously he seemed to he or she had seemed to have access to the website of this company. So I'm assuming they had uh, they were in some kind of administrator IT type type role. Seems intuitive. Um, you know, and, and again, I don't know how big this organization is. They had six hundred thousand paying customers. It doesn't sound too small to me. Um, but you know, IT people, I think have have long been viewed uh, as being above reproach or above, 
suspicion and I'm not sure that's always true, you know, that, and, and so, so as, as we are designing our security programs, I think oftentimes that, that aspect doesn't really get baked in. Is it that they're judges beyond reproach or that the solutions to, you know, deal with a potential rogue insider are so expensive and onerous that most people just say, I'm going to take the risk. I, I, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe so. I'm not sure that that calculus is, is often even thought about though. Hmm. You know, in, in my, in my experience, it's, you know, people think about the, you know, what, what are the users going to do? We got to get rid of the, you know, <laughs> you got to, you got to handle the users and, and you got to protect the company against the users and the IT people are are um, are kind of afterthoughts. And, right. And so you don't, you don't, you don't, at least again, in my experience, you don't often build these programs to, to, um, to help protect against, you know, rogue administrators. And now look, I, you know, we don't know exactly what, what happened here. If, you know, it's, there's still a lot of, a lot of unknowns, but I thought it was, you know, it, it just an interesting example of some of the shenanigans that that um, you know a privileged insider can have if you don't have a uh, if you don't have a good um, separation process. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, which takes a you know a lot of discipline and a lot of maturity in your program to have your identity access management set up that you can handle. Uh, the dismissal or termination or, or resignation of a of an ex IT person. Correct. And you yeah. know the the other the other reality too is, and you, you, I think you were you were kind of on this point. You know, th- this is even though they had six hundred thousand customers, I'm going to guess you know the average transaction va- value of those six hundred thousand people is probably not huge. It's I, I don't know what their what their um, you know their costs are, but it, it's it's probably not a an incredible amount of money, and therefore, you know they're 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 probably not in a position to afford you know really extravagant controls, and so, um, you know I, I think that's a that, that's a a common small small business you know, small medium enterprise. Uh, problem, right? That that's maybe, sure. maybe some of the larger organizations. You know, your your the the value of 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 protecting your brand warrants. You know, s- uh, such controls, right? But um, you know, maybe or, if, or you even have the sophistication in your organization to have the controls. Correct, right? You know, you've got you've got enough senior talent in your IT organization in your security organization that even knows how to do that. Right. Uh, a lot of medium business or small business don't can't even. Think about that stuff. True. You know, uh, uh, and 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 by the way, outsourcing doesn't necessarily help this because you still have to know to go and ask those providers or trigger the disablement of, those, of all those accounts. And when it's spread out to a bunch of different cloud providers, it can be even more difficult to know where to turn stuff off. So yeah, I don't know it's an interesting problem. Yeah, indeed. All right, moving on to our next story. The, this is an interesting one, also from ZDNet. Title is Not Pet Yet, an Act of War. Cyber insurance firm takes taken to task for refusing to pay out. No money for you. So um, this is a, it's kind of an interesting, convoluted 
take on the the whole attribution discussion. You know, there's a historically my perception is there's a lot of organizations that kind of want to get that have been breached to kind of want to get to the point where they can say, well, you know, it was a nation state. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're you're stealing the thunder from the notes I took, but absolutely. Um, Yeah. You know, it's kind of like if it's a nation state, then how could they possibly be expected to defend against it? Because it's a state sponsored nation. You know, this is, this is near, uh, you know, uh, impossible to defend against. Right. Well, on the flip side of that, this insurer went, well, if it's a nation state attack, that's an act of war. We're not paying. Right. And so now, now the companies end up in a bind of, do they get the PR win of saying it was a nation state, whether it is or isn't, right? I, I mean, let's just let's just assume they don't know and, and they're just sort of reaching to nation state or state sponsored as a PR win. Uh, now they've got to worry about how that's going to play with their insurer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So- uh, if they if they even could control that messaging. Often when it's a big attack, they, they don't even own that messaging. But Good point. Good point. So the, the case here is, um, is, a, is between Mondelez, who's a Spanish uh, food company, and uh, insurance uh, company Zurich Insurance Group. And um, you know, so, so I think most everybody who listens to the show is probably pretty familiar with Not Pet Yeah, that was the worm that ran around back in 2017. Uh, it was, you know, purportedly a, an attack by Russia against uh, Ukrainian organizations, and you know, it didn't do a great job of staying within the borders of the Ukraine, and kind of went here, there, and everywhere, and caused a whole lot of damage. and And so, in this this particular case, Zerk is saying, well, you know, this is clearly an act of war against, um, you know, from from Russia against the Ukraine and, you know, your, uh, you know, your kind of collateral damage and our policy excludes uh, such things. And, and so, you know, the, there's kind of an interesting back and forth. The, the attorney for Mondelez is basically saying, you know, th- this in the, in the cyber domain, the act, the activities of you know quote warlike behavior are almost indistinguishable from if not completely indistinguishable from normal cybercrime, and uh, and so you know this, it's going to have to play out in the courts. It will be really interesting to see. I suspect that you know even even net of this uh, this particular case playing out in court, you know you have the ability as a as a consumer to negotiate those kinds of terms with your insurance company, you know, it could certainly drive um, costs up, right? Because I suspect the average insurance carrier is going to take a look and see, say that, you know, the, um, you know, the, the damage historically uh, caused by a, you know, a nation state or, or you know, cyber war is going to probably be higher than than uh, you know something that's not, and therefore that's you know, if we're going to have to cover those losses, the the premiums are going to have to be higher, and blah blah blah. So you know, it's like adding a teenage driver to your car insurance. I get it. Holy crap! Yes, I, and boy, <laughs> boy, do I know what that's like. So, teen- so what we've decided is teenage drivers are nation state level attacks on our cars. Um, well, they're nation state level attacks on my car insurance premium. Absolutely. <laughs> no question. 
So this is going to court. Uh, they're yeah. they're suing. So it'll be interesting to watch how this plays out. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting that um, yeah. you know that this uh, Spanish food company is suing a Zurich-based insurance company in Cook County <laughs> in the U.S. So, no, there wasn't any court shopping there at all. No, not at no, all. I, I, that's going to be interesting to see how they can argue whatever the term is for yeah. being the proper venue Jur- jurisdiction. Yeah, a uh, hundred million. Yeah, hundred million dollars. So I, you know, we joke, but I think it'll be one to watch because it absolutely could impact how these policies play out, and like you mentioned, the premiums. Yeah, you know, like even if so, so if um, if the insurance company ends up losing here, I I would imagine you know all of these all the cyber insurance companies are going to do some introspection and say, holy cow, we're we're probably dramatically underpricing the risk here because we wrote those policies assuming certain exclusions and and those are no longer true so i certainly dramatically underpriced my appearance fee for this show i know that much well that's that's fair so all right moving on to our next story and and this is a follow-up from one we talked about last week Title here is firms fined one million dollars for seeing health data breach or data security now, breach. Now, for the old people in the crowd, is that is that with a Doctor Evil one million dollars? One million dollars. Yes, I'll do the little pinky on my lip thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the you know the deal we talked about this at length last week. Um, there's two organizations involved. One is Singapore Health Services, uh, uh, a.k.a. SingHealth, and the Integrated Health Information Systems, which is, as you might imagine by the name, the IT outsourcing organization that, that ran the, the systems. Uh, SingHealth was fined 250000 Singapore dollars, while IHIS was fined 750000 Singapore dollars. Who levied the fines? So it was the um, the the Personal Data Protection Commission, which is the uh, the data the data protection authority in Singapore, mm. and apparently this was as they say a record fine for them. So in essence, the the, the government. The, yeah, the, government, right? Yeah, yeah, the. Uh, yeah. yeah, the nation level government. I guess I almost said federal, but I don't know if that's the appropriate term for Singapore. So, carry on. Yeah, and by the way, Singapore it's it's a. It's interesting because it's a very it's a very very small country. If you've never been there, super cool country. Like it's a uh, beautiful, uh, but but it's um it's like a couple of times the size of Atlanta. <laughs> so the, the whole country. Today's episode brought to you by the Singapore Tourism Board. Yeah, and I, I if you if you ever want to go to Asia, I I give Singapore two thumbs up. Um, so so anyhow, um. You know, in, interesting. Now that this kind of dovetails into the next story, which is also uh, related to this incident, and the title is "Employees Sacked, CEO Fined in Singhealth Security Breach." And uh, and so, two employees. One was the uh, the Citrix lead, and the other was a uh, uh, security investigation or security incident uh, lead. Uh, both of them were were terminated because they um, apparently didn't 
do their job <laughs> well enough. This the, the 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 claim by the government was that the um, the Citrix lead should have known should have known better and basically had a kind of a cavalier attitude towards security incidents. Yeah, they basically said he had the skill set, but just didn't have the the concern. This Correct. is kind of what they they imply here. Yeah, yeah, and then the. Um, then the security, uh, the person in the security uh, security function, uh, that they basically said he didn't take the the incident seriously either. And then there was a, a person demoted, so it was the um, was a what they call a I forget the term they use. Um, one of their their security yeah. executives. They, they call it a cluster information security officer. Which, there you go. If you're in the United States, that just writes its own jokes. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so yeah, he was demoted, saying that um, he he didn't didn't have the skill to uh, to carry out the mission that he was previously in. And then uh, five, actually, the the title of the the story just references the CEO being fined, but apparently there were actually five different executives who were fined. Uh, personally, right, and now the, the the details of the fines were not disclosed publicly, so we don't know how significant those fines were. And this gets interesting because, at least in the U.S., I, I think aside from maybe like Sarbanes Oxley, we don't have liability at this level for most of our executives, right? I, I don't know of individuals in executive ranks being fined in the U.S. for cybersecurity breaches like this. Not not in a large company. I think in maybe in some some smaller you know smaller organizations. Like we heard that one um, a couple of weeks back, the one person who was barred from uh, you know owning a or being participating in a company in New Jersey. You know, so so right. it's, it's not entirely unheard of. And by the way, I I believe that. That they're, you know, the, my 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 view is there is a growing, um, you know, growing base of this kind of thing happening. Like in the UK, uh, my understanding, at least, then obviously pending what happens with Brexit and and all that. But there is a um, uh, a pending law, as I understand it, at least, where uh, associated with the GDPR, it's not just that the company could be fined, but also that under certain circumstances, uh, individuals within the company who contributed or made decisions that contributed to the data breach could also be held uh, personally accountable. Um, which certainly changes, I think, w- will change behavior, uh, which is probably the, the point. Absolutely. Uh, that, that gets pretty interesting when you know, executives' financial health directly is on the line. Correct. Um, yeah, that, that does know. change the calculus a bit, yes. Uh, I, I'm not promoting or, or not promoting it here in the U.S., for instance, but it's interesting to see how that would play out in terms of um, interest at the board level <laughs> in yeah. terms of cybersecurity. But then, you know, that could be a double-edged sword because now you've got very senior executives who, by their very role, are probably not technical, Um trying to decide if they've got the right people in the right positions, that they're being told the right things, that they're approving the right level of budgets, that they're not getting, you know, um, BSed by their, their, you know, second and third tier guys who are just looking for 
you know, to build an empire. You know, those are some tough decisions they have to make. And, and I don't feel that we have enough history with this area of business that our executive ranks are good at vetting those people yet. Like they are lawyers or finance or other things. Yeah, I was going to say this is not, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past. It's it's now starting to sound a lot more like needing to retain competent legal counsel. You need to start retaining competent, you know, quote cyber counsel, uh, you know, in order in order to avoid um, you know pitfalls that might affect you personally. That is an interesting it's an interesting concept, and I do think that it will probably. Um, well, it's definitely going to change behavior. I well, just don't know if it's a, in a good way or a bad way. <laughs> there's probably an easy answer if you're in the U.S. It's hire one of the big four consulting firms and just put the problem on them. True. Although, you know, it's interesting. In, I, I didn't mention it on the, on the previous story, but one of the comments by the government towards uh, Sing Health, it, it was kind of an accusation basically saying you know, just because you outsource your your IT operations does not, mean that you've abdicated responsibility you've not no no but you could you would leverage them to tell to tell give you a a third party opinion are you doing the right things oh yeah are you doing industry standard um do you have the right people in place you know that kind of thing that that's true that's true and they'll they'll be more than happy to bring a busload of consultants to help you figure that out who just graduated college typically true that's that's very true well you know they got to get experience somehow so <laughs> we love you guys. <laughs> I feel like I'm being a jerk now. All right. Um, what, next, do you, what do you mean now? Okay. More than, more than normal. Next story uh, comes from securityweek.com and title is new variant of BEC seeks to divert payroll deposits. These are clever bastards. I got to tell you. So, yep. um, you know, so we've, we've talked about business email compromises, quite a lot in the past and and how a lot of these scams work you know they um, are often associated with um, you know f- phony acquisitions of companies and and um, sometimes they result in in uh, the the HR department sending the the criminals the the a list of w2s and you know, and, and other bad stuff. But here's a here's a new take, which I thought was kind of something to make sure is on your radar. Um, in in this particular case, it's not an executive necessarily that's being targeted. It's kind of just a rank and file employee, potentially anybody in your organization, and um, and, and uh, the, the the criminal uses the email of the victim to send uh, to send an email to the company's HR department saying, I've changed banks. I need you to, uh, you know, to change my direct deposit to, to this other bank account, one that the, the criminal controls. And, you know, depending on how they do that and, and how often and how diligent the employee is at, at checking their bank account, you know, they could get away with <laughs> some serious money. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's convincing uh, a powerful employee to divert money where it doesn't belong, right? And it's uh, you know, it's just a little more clever. Uh, so instead of going for millions of dollars, they're going for you know a couple thousand here and there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know they they 
they do point out in the article, but not in the report that they cite, they actually point out this concept, which I thought was pretty pretty clever if you could pull it off, and that would be trying to set up a fake employee. Right? And Ooh. so that so they, they point out that like okay, so if you you know if if you were to target this scam against a a senior executive at a company, you know, you would stand to make the most amount of money because they probably are the highest paid in the company. Uh, um, and, but by the way, you would almost certainly get caught right away. Sure. Right. And now you could target somebody lower in the company, and you wouldn't make nearly as much money on the scam. But potentially, it could go for a little longer but then the the author here points out that you know if you were a really enterprising and clever criminal you could cur- potentially create an employee um and 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 get that employee paid and and that could go on for quite some time before anybody uh, realizes it because you know nobody's missing money out of their paycheck so I'm going to need you to send me a detailed step-by-step plan for that <laughs> So, um, you know, they, I, I got to tell you, this, um, this, there, I don't think there's a great mitigation for this. You know, they, 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 um, they, they cite, you know, you, your HR department or whoever is doing payroll needs to make sure that they are doing, kind of following the process and not being bullied into, um, you know, just accepting what's in an email. But, like, I, you know, I don't know how hard it is to actually fake a copy of a check you know or or a, right. or a or a, a a a letter from a a bank on bank letterhead or something like that and that, by the well, way i know a lot of companies actually have this completely automated like where you just go to a internal website and you can monkey with this on your own here's what gets interesting too is there's potentially more of a paper trail uh depending on the bank um you know, it's not like when you're wiring money. When you're doing a direct deposit, it, it it's probably going to be a bank most likely local to the company. If it was some foreign bank, that probably would raise some alarm bells. Right. So I don't know. It might. It's it could be a little riskier, right, for the bad guys not to get caught, depending on how they're interacting with the bank. I, I, you know, and then and then there's some interesting stuff from the banking side of this because there's a whole, uh, at least in the U.S know your customer regulation, a whole bunch of stuff that they're supposed to spot in terms of uh, money fraud and, and money laundering that this could potentially come to play with. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I think that, I think the, uh, I think the criminals have a pretty, pretty good way of working around those kinds of things by, you yeah. know, the, a lot of those work at home, uh, you know, job scams are in support of crap like this where, you know, you, you, you take a, you take an otherwise unwitting person and you pay them to go and open a bank account and then you use that bank account and then you transfer the money and they're, you know, they're kind of unknowingly complicit in, in crimes. So, yeah, I think what it goes down to is just don't, don't trust unauthenticated internal systems. You know, don't, don't trust a via email say, well, why don't you log into your, HR portal and update us that way or whatever it is that, you know, hopefully you have some system to use. Right. You know, with your quad factor authentication. Absolutely. All right. And then our last story for today comes from ZDNet and the title is Oklahoma government data leak 
exposes FBI investigation records, millions of department files. Um, Oops. Yeah. So, so this is another uh, um, another situation where UpGuard and the uh, the magical fingers of Chris Vickery has uncovered a trove of um, of data sitting out on the internet. Now, apparently, it's so. Can we can we start saying that like Brian Krebs is our IDS, Chris Vickery is our DLP? I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. Yes. I will work on the t-shirts. Yes. Chris Vickery is our DLP. Um, so uh, unlike most previous um, incidents that we've talked about where, where uh, Chris and his company have, have found it, this is not apparently a open S3 bucket. This is apparently a, uh, a system that, that exists on the Oklahoma uh, Department of Securities uh, network, and now I got to tell you the, the the way that this was described as being exposed to the internet, and then and then the response from the Oklahoma government is kind of odd, right? So, so apparently this was that this data, like multiple t- is as they say, multiple terabytes of data that span the period from 1986 to 2016, including like gigabytes of, um, of, um, Outlook PST files and, uh, virtual machine VMDK files and, and all sorts of stuff, including as they, as they say in, uh, uh, in the, the headline here, F- information related to FBI investigations. Um, apparently this was exposed uh, via and what what they call quote an open rsync service, and and then the response from the government is that this was exposed in the as they were uh, changing a firewall, and it occurs to me that it takes a heck of a lot more than replacing a firewall to cause someone to be able to connect to an rsync data off of a server without any authentication. That just seems really bizarre to me, and and all you know if that if, if that statement is true, it kind of is concerning because that would mean that maybe people internally had ex- open access to that data for a long time too. But we don't don't really know exactly um, the purpose and and nature of that. But um, it, it's it's kind of an interesting point that the you know the government is asserting you know they made a change to their perimeter security. And in that change, this data was, um, you know, th- th- this cert- that service was exposed to the internet. And I would say it was kind of like flying trapeze with, and they took the net away when they replaced the firewall. <laughs> hey, you know, we'll do it live. It's fine. You know, information wants to be free. Well, <laughs> yeah, apparently it was. Uh, so they found it on, uh, I guess it was exposed, according to um, Shodan, it was exposed on November 30th. They reported it on, uh, or they discovered it on December 7th and then reported it on December 8th. And then I guess it was taken down, to their to their credit, it was taken down later that same day. So they actually did respond quickly. I think we should offer a service to just uh, be your incident response to take down exposed information. Because it happens so often. Yes. There must be a business model here. Yes. I, I think so. <sighs> but that, I think, isn't that what, I think that's what UpGuard does, actually. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I'm just. I think just that's being, their business. I'll just keep trying to find me a secondary line of income. It's just not working out for me. <laughs> but you know, I mean, this. As much as we make fun of this, this happens all the time. Uh, especially, we're seeing it more and more with as folks go to the cloud. And and best I can tell, we just have a lot of folks out there running around achieving IT goals, not understanding the risks they're incurring or the potential exposure they're incurring with these huge data sets. Right. And I think it's just going to get worse because we have enabled very non-technical people to do a lot of very technical work, which is great in one aspect, but it's bad in the aspect of, you know, it's sort of like, and I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper to this at all, but I'm saying when you look at someone who goes through years and years and years and years of training to learn a martial art, not only do you learn the skill set, but they learn the respect for the skill set and the risks of that skill set. When you download, you know, a uh, martial arts skill set into somebody's brain, they don't go through that maturity and tempering phase to learn how to use that skill set responsibly. Mm-hmm. And this is a danger that we're running into right now where our skill set to work with very sensitive data and expose it unwittingly is now being pushed to folks who probably have never built, gone through the pain to understand why that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say only the wizened graybeards can do this, but I'm just saying that this is an unforeseen consequence of, of making it infrastructure build out so easy and quick. Yeah, well, it, 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 so I don't think we we can unring that bell, right? But it does it does say to me that if we're going to make that side, if we're going to make the enablement side that much easier, we we need to do something on the protection side too. You know, there there needs to be some um, you know something to to help keep people from shooting themselves in the foot unknowingly. Because it's it's very clear to me that um, you know that that hasn't been happening. Now I think to Amazon's credit, I think they've been making a a, a number of different changes that are making it more and more difficult to expo- in- unintentionally expose uh, S three buckets. But, yeah, I think the other major cl- major cloud providers are probably doing the same, just not. You know, they don't get the same level of press as I think Amazon's had such a string. Their success has wrought such a string of issues. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't right. Right. I mean, I think Amazon was just a victim of circumstance or a victim of their own success in that, in that perspective. But, um, you know, I, but I think that the, 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 the trend certainly is, especially, you know, in the, with cloud and DevOps and, and everything else, you know, that, that the, the trend is towards IT being a higher value, right? So focusing more on 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 business problems and less on infrastructure, and and that certainly is intuitive because you know we, we're you know IT is just maturing; it's it's becoming commodity, and it's um you know the, in in order it kind of fundamental IT is no longer a big um, competitive advantage; it's kind of just assumed to be there. So now companies have to really look for you know, the, the, the look up the stack, basically, as they say, for that competitive advantage. And that means that we're focusing more and more of our energy and our, and our IT spend in those higher, you know, in those higher tiers application and, and whatnot. 
And that comes at the expense, in, at least as far as I can see, in um, you know people who really understand the you know the, the stuff down, lower down in the stack because a lot of that's just being automated. And, right. well, and while that's fine, right? We have to make sure that those tools are are you know not only encompass that automation, but also the security. And and that's where I think things have have not been uh, where they need to be. And it's and it's completely doable, by the way. That you know, if you set up your templates and your and your policies properly with security in mind, and only allow your organization to go and play in the environment that you set up, you're fine. Right. Uh, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with these services from a security standpoint. It's knowing how to set that up properly, like anything else. The the thing is that. If somebody with a credit card and a budget authorization can go out and spin up something on their own without anybody else in IT or security knowing about it, then you get in trouble. Yeah, and and f- further further to that, I think in a, in a lot of organizations we kind of force them to go off and do that because it's just it's too painful. Sure. To you know to quote work through the process, and so now I'm incentive. You know, I have an incentive as a business person to go and and uh, just kind of skirt past. The, uh, the, hey boss, the IT told me it would take six months. I got it done in a week. Right? Aren't right. I awesome? Exactly. Uh, completely understood. And uh, you know, to the point now where there are uh, vendors out there pitching services that will watch your internet traffic to find unauthorized cloud providers that are being used by your staff. Right. So we have we have gotten to an interesting world um, as as we've made it easier and yet made it scarier at the same time yes indeed so uh so thus concludes another episode of the defensive security podcast um you can find links to all the stuff we talked about on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org you can follow the show on twitter at defensive sec you can follow mr Kellett on twitter at lurg and me on twitter at malicious link any closing thoughts mr Kellett? I want to say thank you to our Patreon donors. You guys are awesome. Uh, if you like the show, give us some internet points on iTunes or wherever you rate and listen to podcasts. Uh, we appreciate that. It motivates us to keep going. And if you don't like the show, uh, tell us why yeah. on a private email that no one else can see. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> using using positive language, yes. <laughs> and thank you as always for uh, – listening to us on a mostly weekly basis ramble about random stuff absolutely all right take care we'll talk again soon bye-bye have a good bye. week